Considered the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, is said to be suffering a catastrophe of major proportions. Tens of thousands of people are now homeless after the 7.0 magnitude quake, and the presidential palace and the UN headquarters are all in ruins. Just like before, when there's water rising up to our see there the, the, the streets just full of uh, residents that have been affected um, by this earthquake. Uh, they're refusing to go back in, back in. The aftershocks keep coming. It certainly isn't safe. And uh, that man there being dragged out of, um, out of the rubble. Nobody knows what's going on, really. Nobody knows what to do. There's no, like, ambulance going to help. There's no helicopter. It's pretty much at a standstill. But everything to us And that's what seems so hard How will we smile? Asking you sincerely, my dear old friend. The moon on the hill says we probably will, my dear old friend, my Welcome you to chapel this morning. If you've turned on your television or radio in the last eight days, you are very aware of the devastation that occurred in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. In less than 24 hours of that earthquake, we've had students call us and email us and drop by our office at Spiritual Life and, and ask the question, what can we do to help? And in those moments, I'm very proud to work at a university where that is the norm. Because you did that not out of a sense of pride of being the largest Baptist university in the world, but you did that from a place of compassion and care and concern. And I'm blessed by your initiative. In the short term, we've already begun to respond because we are a Christian university and Christ calls us to love God and to love our neighbors. So it is right for us to do so, to respond, to help. 
And so last Thursday, we held a prayer service at Truett, and several of our students gathered together, and we prayed and cried out to God and asked for help to those who are grieving and those who are needing medical and assistance and food and water. And today, you will have an opportunity to respond as well. We will be taking up an offering in the foyer after chapel, and you can give. And that gift will go to the American Red Cross, who is there on the ground, who can respond to those immediate needs. So I want to encourage you to think about that. You probably received uh, an email from the chaplain already telling you we'd be doing that. And in the weeks and the months ahead, we will gather people around campus, students and faculty and staff, who will begin to think, what can we do long term to help our neighbors? And we will help answer that question, what do we do now? In the meantime, you may feel a little guilty and wonder why that happened there and not here. Why am I healthy and, and doing okay while others are suffering? And I want to remind us that it's not up to us to understand why this happened. But we are at a place that we can ask the question, what do we do now? And I want to encourage you to help us answer that question. As I reminded the students on Thursday, we can do something. We can continue to pray. We can continue to remember long after it's okay to forget or easy to forget. We can suffer with those who are hurting and we can give. God has not called us at this time of our lives to be the first responders, to be those who, who go in, into the immediate danger and to help, but ha God has called us at this time of our lives to be students and faculty and administrators of an affluent Christian university, and we have resources to give. And I want to encourage you to think about that. So let's start our day this morning with a word of prayer. God, as we see images and hear stories of immense pain and suffering, how can our hearts not feel heavy and burdened? We cry out to you, O God of mercy, and ask you to bring help and healing. As we hear the rising death toll and see desperation on the faces of those there, we are reminded of the frailty of life. As we struggle with our own limitations, let us turn to you, O giver of life, and put our faith and trust in you. Let our prayer be that of the psalmist who wrote, I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Please join me in a reading of Psalm 19. After I read the words in gray, please respond by reading the words in white. Here in this time and here in this place, we trust you, God. 
to renew our minds, to transform our lives, to fill us with hope. Hear these words from the Psalms. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Gracious God, open our lips so we might give you praise you deserve and offer you thanks for your enduring goodness. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we sing.
guys can be seated. We've kind of stepped out on a limb here. In singing these words, we're asking God to be pleased with whatever comes out of us, with whatever it is that our hearts want to let out. When we say along with the psalmist, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, we're expressing this belief that God lends us an ear, that God takes us seriously, that God listens to the deepest longings of our soul. And that's without qualifications. There's no filter. There's no right or wrong. It's simply the deepest longings of your heart laid bare before God. And the great kicker of it all is that God takes delight in it. God is pleased by it. And that's a pretty wonderful realization. But at the same time, it's rather terrifying. The creator of all things cares enough to listen. To listen to everything. The good and the bad. The joy and the pain. Whatever it might be, God listens. And for some of us, some of us, God might be the only one who actually listens to us, the only one that truly cares about us. And it's this listening ear that is such a great gift. And so in this moment, I want us all to close our eyes, to still ourselves. And as the the music continues to play over us, let your mind and your heart wander. And as it wanders, where does it stop? What is it that your heart is drawn to in this moment right now? Maybe it's to our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Maybe it's something that you're dealing with on your own. Maybe it's a desire to change the world. What is it that occupies your thoughts right now? And I want you to focus on whatever that is, the good and the bad. Let it overwhelm you. Let it take hold of you. See, pouring out your your heart to God is in fact believing that the creator of the world takes pleasure in listening to us. That God actually cares for us. That God desires to come alongside us. To bear our burdens with us. To take delight in us. 
So whatever it is that is filling your mind right now, take hold of it. That might mean grasping it physically with your hands, imagining it there in front of you. And as you sit there, rather than being overwhelmed by it, rather than letting it take hold of you, we ought to instead let it go. And be overwhelmed instead by God's great love for you. Cause
from the Gospel according to Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I think that's a fitting text to have read. And by the way, Christians all over the world just happen to be reading that text this week. It's fitting given what has taken place. Anytime something happens in our lives or in the world, it sort of hangs there, doesn't it, like a backdrop. And we've got to keep doing what we do and living our lives, but every now and then, maybe even during the day, you turn around and there it is, Haiti or, or whatever has happened. And as Christians, a part of what we try to do as people of faith, what we try to do is see what's taking place through the lens of, of what we believe and what our faith is. It's really important that that text was read. It's important to us and to our world. It's important to Luke, by the way, because these are the first words in Luke's gospel that Jesus says publicly. And, and we know that when a writer uses their first words, the first words really matter, right? The first word of a poem or, or the first line of some song, the first paragraph of a novel. They, they tend to, you've been in school long enough to know this, they tend to hint at something or point to something or sort of unveil what is coming. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. It was a hobbit hole. And that means comfort. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground is where I spent most of my days. First words matter. They kind of hint at what is coming. And that's certainly the case in Luke's telling of the story of Jesus. Matthew starts in a different place. First things out of Jesus' mouth are the Beatitudes, not here. So this is Luke's way of saying this moment is very important. Take note of this. By putting these words here, Luke's saying, you're about to find out what it's going to mean for Jesus to be the Messiah. And lots of folks thought lots of things about that in those days and still do. But Luke has something to tell about who Jesus was and therefore who God is by putting this story in this moment front and center. And it's a pretty simple story, really, and you got the gist of it. He's been out and about preaching, and pretty impressive, apparently, because rumors spreading about how well he's doing, and rumors were out and about, too, though Luke doesn't go into that. What matters most for him is what about Jesus is about to say. But I guess Jesus is a little worn out, and he heads home to Nazareth. This is his hometown, a small place. There are fewer people in Nazareth than there are in any residential facility on Baylor's campus. It's a little place. So he's there with his friends. They know who he is. They know his mom, his brothers and his sisters. They remember his dad. And they're probably excited a bit. There's a, at least some curiosity about what in the world has our friend been doing out and about. And he stands up. And by the way, in the synagogue, this would be a little bit more like a Sunday school class than big church, right? It's a little bit more of a time to talk and read and fellowship than it is sort of 
holy, sacred space. It's that kind of thing. And any man could stand up and read and talk. So he gets a scroll and he opens it up to Isaiah. He's standing there and he reads. And it really matters to Luke that he reads what he reads because he's about to sort of play his cards here about what he's going to be up to. He's going to proclaim some things that really is about uh, the centerpiece to his ministry, that he's going to proclaim some things. And here it is out of Isaiah. He's going to proclaim good news to the the poor. And for me, the good news to the poor was this isn't your fault. You may know that. Everyone thought if you were poor, it was pretty much your fault, and some still do. Misfortune means you're really messed up. And Jesus, right at the beginning, says, I have good news for you if you're poor. God isn't against you. This isn't your fault. If you happen to be poor or an earthquake happened to hit your town, and some Christians last week thought maybe that was so. Come to proclaim good news to the poor and proclaim freedom to anyone who happens to be captive to any place or, or anyone or anything and to anybody who's in the dark, the capacity to see. And then he wraps it up by saying, reading from Isaiah, proclaiming the, the year of God's favor, which was a big deal for them. It's this year, you maybe know, this jubilee kind of thing when all bets are off, all debts are canceled, really. Sins are canceled, debts are canceled. It's sort of like if you've missed a chemistry exam and you go in and you're, you're thinking you're, you're, the semester's over. I mean, you, you didn't mean to miss it, but you did. And the professor says, it's going to be okay. I'm going to make this all right. Or like you blew it with somebody you love. You, you've done this. Something came out of your mouth and maybe it was hateful and dark and ugly and you were even surprised as it came out that something like that could even be in your mind, much less on your lips. And you said it. And this person who loved you somehow the next day said, it's going to be okay. I, I, I forgive you. The year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor was this, this time of second chances and third chances and hundredth chances when everybody gets the grace of God. They called it Jubilee. I was watching television Sunday night, I think it was. Have you seen Little Miss Sunshine? I love Little Miss Sunshine. And it was at the end when I, I tuned in, and there she is on the stage. It's about to be bad, right? And And... And I laugh really hard at that scene, but I also always find this lump in my throat. And I think it's because here this broken family is up on stage dancing like crazy with their loved one, this little girl, so she won't, she won't feel shame. That's Jubilee, where someone says, you are loved and I'm in your corner. I'm on your side. So when Jesus first stands up to say, here's what I'm about. He reads good news to the poor, sight to the blind, release to the captives, and God's favor to everyone, and he stops there. He reads about God's favor and puts an exclamation point there. And I'm going to say something, and some of you aren't going to like it, but did you know that God, that Jesus edits here Isaiah? He stops reading before Isaiah was through. The next line in Isaiah that Jesus doesn't read is he's also going to proclaim the vengeance of God. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus just stops with proclaiming this business of God's favor to all those who know they need it. And this is what it means for Jesus to be Jesus. Jesus becomes the thesis sentence for God. The first word for God on this day 
here on this Sabbath and throughout his ministry, and I think even here this morning, Jesus is saying to something, something to us, that God's favor, like water, runs downhill to the low places and the lowly in those low places. And God's healing is like good medicine. It's going to find its way to whatever wound is out there in the world and in us. And God's light, like any good light, when it breaks forth, breaks forth most, most brilliantly in darkness, in the places that are most dark. And that God's grace always flows quickly like relief aid into a disaster area to those who are in desperate need and know there's no saving themselves. And I'm not just talking about Haiti. God's mercy moves in this way. God's mercy is flowing from the divine heart into the world. And I want to I say this real clearly in case you've never known this. What it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a Christian, is simply to step into the flow of God's mercy. That's it. Because once it hits you, it's going to flow through you to the world. And I sure hope it does today. Not only is as you give, as you leave, if you can write a check or give cash or go online if you want, but my hope is that you have some sense of you get also to be maybe God's first word to somebody because of the mercy coming from your heart. Let's stand quietly for a benediction. God, help us to hear again and know in a deep way and somehow believe it that your mercy has moved towards us even in this moment. God, please, please help us to let it flow through us. Amen. Have a good day.